Good morning, Highland Community Church. Welcome to another day worshiping the Lord corporately in your living room, in your family room, virtually. We're thankful that you have joined us. Today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 to 11. You want to turn there in your Bibles. And as we're thinking about that text, let's ask God to guide our time. Let's turn to him in prayer. Father God, uh, it is with joyful hearts that we gather together as believers, some in person, some virtually, some in small groups, and some alone. We pray, Father, that as we look at your inspired and errant word, that our hearts would be transformed into the likeness of your Son. Father, we think not only of ourselves, but we think of our nation. We think of our world. Our world is suffering through COVID-19, affecting some, not affecting others. We ask, Father, that you would allow this disease to cease, that you would give wisdom to our leaders to know exactly how to open up society and to do so in a wise and safe way, keep people safe, especially those who are most vulnerable to the illness. Father, we also think of the systemic racism. We didn't need riots and we didn't need the loss of a man to know this. We know that because of our depraved hearts, we sometimes tend to think of people like us as superior and people different from us as inferior. We ask that we would see every person, every person as being made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, and because we are made in your image, we have value that is beyond estimation. And help us to treat one another that way and for our societies to be molded that way. Father, take your word today and mold us incrementally more into your likeness. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Today, Paul is going to talk a little bit about the law of God. And as he talks about the law of God, he wants to assure us that the law of God is good. It is right. In fact, you remember in the book of Galatians what Paul says, the law of God is a taskmaster. It is a tutor pointing to our need for Christ. The law is good, but this is the problem with the law. None of us have ever kept it. We are lawbreakers. We cannot earn our salvation. In this regard, I kind of think of the movie The Sound of Music. You remember in there, there is a nun. Her name is Maria. She is sent from a convent to Captain Von Trapp's family to be the governess of his seven kids. He is a widow. And as they dialogue, Captain Von Trapp says to her that she is the 12th governess. The last one made it like one hour. Eleven have come, eleven have failed. And you can imagine that Maria voices what would be in all of our hearts if eleven governesses have failed, what is wrong with the children? And when she voices that, Captain Von Trapp becomes annoyed. He says, there's nothing wrong with my children, there's only something wrong with the governesses. Now we would know that that is only something a parent could think or say. It's a ridiculous statement. Obviously, there's something wrong with the children. 
we are the children. The law of God is the governess. Unlike those governesses, the law of God is perfect. But we are those children who cannot sustain the perfectness of the law. We are constant violators. The law is perfect. We are not. And because of that, none of us can earn our salvation. As I think about earning our salvation, I think of yet another movie. You have probably heard of Saving Private Ryan. In it, we have a captain, Captain Miller, who is played by Tom Hanks. And Captain Miller is of Charlie Company. He's part of a ranger group, and he's sent out on a special mission. The mission comes from the brass in the Pentagon. Apparently, there is a mother in the United States who has sent off her four boys to the front to fight the war in World War II, and three of those brothers have died. Three times there has been a knock on her door where an officer has said, on behalf of the nation, we thank you for your sacrifice. And the Pentagon brass don't want to do that a fourth time. They've got to find her fourth son, a guy named Private Ryan, played by Matt Damon. He's somewhere in the front. Nobody knows exactly where. And so the Pentagon brass sends Captain Miller and a small band of rangers to the area of the front where Private Ryan is to find him. It's an unusual task. And along the way, this small band of rangers continually get smaller as they're picked off and they die. They finally find Private Ryan, who of course is beset with grief when he learns his three brothers are dead, but he's even more bothered by the fact they want him to leave his role to go back. He wants to be a man. He wants to do his role. And a battle ensues, and the remainder of those small rangers are killed. And as Captain Miller is wounded, and he's lying there with his last breath, he says to Private Ryan, earn this. In other words... Make this effort by these small band of rangers who have all sacrificed their life for you. Make it worth it. Earn this. And one of the last scenes in the movie is Private Ryan. He's now probably another 50 years old. So he's in his 70s, maybe 80s, I'm not sure. And he's standing in a cemetery and he's looking at the gravestone of Captain Miller. There are tears coming down his face. And he turns to his wife and he says, tell me that I'm a good man. In other words, tell me that I'm good, that I've earned this. Tell me that I've earned this. And that's the situation where millions of sincere, maybe billions of sincere people are. They're trying to spiritually earn salvation, to earn heaven, to earn forgiveness, to earn eternal life. Sincere individuals who forget that the law of God is perfect and we are imperfect and there's a gulf between us and we cannot bridge it. Maybe you'll bridge it more than me, but you're still gonna fall short. You, I, we cannot earn it. Paul learned this lesson. He tells us 
of his attempt to earn salvation prior to coming face to face with a risen Christ on the road to Damascus and understanding grace, receiving forgiveness, not based on his effort, his work, but on the work of Christ. Let me pick up in our text and and I want to read from Philippians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 2 and read all the way to 11. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That is those who are interested in earning salvation, one means of which is circumcision. For we are the circumcision. Who are the we? Those who accept Christ. Those who believe in Christ. Those who place their faith in Christ. They're the true believers who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And they put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in circumcision. No confidence in good works. No confidence in baptism. No confidence in church attendance. No confidence in all of our attempts to earn salvation. These things are responses to salvation. They're acts of worship. They aren't means of grace. We put no confidence in what we do. No confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, said Paul, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, however far I got on my attempt to earn salvation, I count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish, dung, manure, excrement, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. As you and I begin, Paul starts out with very strong words. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. He starts out by attacking a group that today we call the Judaizers. Paul really was among them in a way. In the book of Galatians, we learn about these these Judaizers. There were individuals who said, faith in Christ, that's pretty good. But you got to supplement that. There's got to be synergistic work on your behalf. You got to do work. You got to earn your way up, claw your way up the ladder to heaven, that stairway to heaven. Led Zeppelin didn't create it. He created it. This, these Judaizers created it. We got to work our way up to heaven. A little bit of faith is fine. Works even better. And so they wanted to follow the law of God. Now the law of God refers to the 613 Old Testament laws in the Old Testament. The laws that we read about in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. These laws are often 
kind of difficult for us to understand what they're talking about. Now, we can't really spend a lot of time on them today, but let's do a flyover, a 20,000-foot flyover of the law of God. They're divided into three groups. The first group is the civic law of God. The civic law refers to the fact that there was at one time a theocracy, a God rule. Obviously, God does rule today, but a theocracy means there's no government. God rules the people instead of government. Sounds pretty good about now to me. But that didn't exist in the time of Jesus. So Jesus fulfilled the civic law for us because he himself is God and he ruled on earth. But we can't follow the civic laws. They couldn't follow the civic laws in the time of Jesus because of Roman occupation. Us because we have the U.S. government. Every other nation because they have governments. So the civic laws cannot be lived out today. Jesus fulfilled them for us. That's what he said in Matthew 5, 17. There's the civic law. Then there's the ceremonial law. These are the laws related to the ceremonies that take place at the temple. Jesus kept all of them on our behalf. Why are the ceremonial laws no longer effective? Well, first, because Jesus became the temple, right? In John 2, 19, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But in addition to that, all the laws related to the temple are impossible for you, I, we to follow because there's no temple. There hasn't been a temple since AD 70. But rest assured, Jesus fulfilled the civic laws, the theocracy laws for us. He fulfilled the ceremonial, the temple laws for us. And then there's a third category. They're the moral laws. What you ought to morally do, what you ought not morally do. They are still in effect because they have been repeated for us in the New Testament and often in expanded form. But this group of Judaizers was coming around and saying, if you really want to earn your salvation, which is the only way to get salvation, you got to follow all of these laws. You got to follow them to the letter. And Paul says, that's rubbish. I've been there. I've tried it. In fact, Paul says, I want to tell you about my trophy case. I want to tell you about all the times that I did it. And those of you who are pushing in on others, you're dogs. You're evil. You're mutilators of the flesh. Now, I'm a dog lover. I don't really like the pejorative way in which Paul calls anyone dogs. But we have to understand that in Paul's day, dogs were not pets. They were disease-riven scavengers. They were dangerous. And so are those who say salvation is not in faith, but by works, it's dangerous. He calls them evildoers. They're sincere, but they're evildoers because if you try and earn your salvation, the result will be an eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell. And they're mutilators of the flesh because they're placing their confidence in works like circumcision, works like baptism, works like being good enough. But we can never be good enough and Paul says, I've tried, I've gone down that path. If anyone else thinks 
he has tried, I've tried even more. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he begins to tell us how. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's in accordance with what we read about in the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 17, verse 12. It says that a new boy, a Jewish boy, was circumcised on the eighth day. Not the sixth day, not the third day, not the 13th day. And you have to understand that most families fudged on this. But Paul came from a very kosher family. At the very beginning of his life, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Being of the people of Israel, what he's saying is, I'm not a Hellenist. I'm not a Gentile Greek convert. I'm not one of those people. I'm actually a Jew of Jews. And not only a Jew of Jew, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That's kind of like a badge of honor. You think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He has 12 sons. Who's his favorite? Benjamin. You think of uh, who is the first king of Israel? Saul, which happens to be Paul's namesake. Remember, Paul's Jewish name is Saul. And where did he come from? The tribe of Benjamin. You remember when Israel split into the 10 northern tribes And the two southern tribes and the ten northern tribes followed Jeroboam into idolatry. Who were the two southern tribes? Judah and Benjamin. He's not only from Jewish descent, he's from the right tribe. He goes on to say, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That means that he can read the original biblical text in the Hebrew language. Many people in Paul's day were illiterate. Those who could read, read Greek. And so when they would go to the Bible, they'd have to read a translation. We call it the Septuagint. It's the Greek version of the Old Testament. It was finished in 132 BC. But Paul didn't have to read a translation. He went to the original manuscripts. He could read the text in the Hebrew language. And I got to tell you, that was rather rare in the time of Paul. He says, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now we tend to hear this word Pharisee and we say, oh, those guys are hypocrites, right? Well, yes, because they tried to earn their salvation and constantly failed and didn't want people to know how much they failed by. So they tried to make themselves look a little better than they were. But we have to understand who the Pharisees are. Paul lived at a time period in which the nation of Israel was a population of between two and a half million and five million. I think reasonably there were probably four million people. At the highest point, there were 6,000 Pharisees. In the time of Paul, probably 5,000 Pharisees. Paul's a Pharisee. In fact, he's the son of a Pharisee. And he's one of the higher Pharisees because he goes on to say, as to zeal, I'm a persecutor of the church. He goes from place to place, putting out cults. He is the creme de la creme of the Pharisees. And then he makes this astounding statement, as to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. Now I've got to tell you that we probably get this one wrong. We read the word blameless and we think, whoa, the dude is claiming that 
He kept all 613 Old Testament laws perfectly. That's actually not what he's claiming. Blameless in a rabbinic mindset means this. Every time Paul sinned, he immediately went to the temple and offered a sacrifice. And the atonement was never in the sacrifice because the sacrifice represented the coming Messiah. So he was constantly having his sins atoned for by a sacrifice, thinking forward to a coming Messiah, which is Jesus. That's how the word blameless is used by the rabbis. That's how David uses it in Psalm 18. David says he's blameless. And we say, whoa, do you forget about Bathsheba? You forget about Uriah? You forget about counting horses and chariots? You're hardly blameless. But what David would say is he atoned for those by a sacrifice looking forward to the Messiah. So in that regard, he was blameless. It's the same way that we read about it with the parents of John the Baptist, Zachariah and Elizabeth in Luke 1, 6, that said they were blameless by living under the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But we know Zachariah sinned, right? God sent an angel and said that your wife, Elizabeth, in her old age is gonna have a son. And he's just like, whatever. And he doesn't believe the angel of God. He sins. But then he offers a sacrifice, a temporary atonement, looking forward to the coming Messiah. Paul says, as far as I know, every time I externally sinned, I went to the temple and I offered a sacrifice. So I'm blameless under the law. But he came to realize that it's not just external sins. There's internal sins. And he was filled with pride. He was filled with hatred towards Christians, those who followed the way. He was a sinner like you and like me. And so when Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he realizes that he could never earn his salvation, but Jesus paid the price. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus died as an atonement, a payment for our sin, that if we would believe in Christ, we would be given eternal life. When Paul realizes that, he says, oh man, this trophy case, all the things I have ever done, they're as rubbish compared to what Christ has done for us. So Paul says this, verses seven to nine, for whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Have you ever bought a car that you would now say is a lemon? Has that ever happened? You know, it looks good. You open the interior, it smells good. But it leads you by the side of the road. It breaks down. It doesn't start. You're always getting new parts. It's always in the repair office. It's a lemon. And you get angry with the manufacturer or with the person who sold it to you. It's a lemon. Paul says, all these things that I was, this trophy case of things I've done to earn my salvation, I've suddenly discovered 
It's a lemon. It's a cubic zirconian compared to the pure diamond of Christ. It's a fake. It's a phony. It won't achieve what I thought it would achieve. Paul says that he didn't have a righteousness of his own, which comes from the law, but he could be forgiven through faith in Christ. You see, the question is not this. Am I a good man? Am I a good woman? You may be light years ahead of me. I'm going to answer the, those questions as no, I, I'm not a good man. Maybe you are. And maybe you're closer to perfection than me, but there's still a massive gulf between you and God. And Paul says, I have done all these things. I have tried all these things. I'm at the front of the line. I'm a Pharisee. I'm blameless under the law. I read the scriptures in the original language. I live them out. And all of them are rubbish, scubalon, dung, excrement, manure. It's not that being a Pharisee is bad. It's not that reading the text in the Hebrew language is bad. It's not that always offering a sacrifice, if there's even a temple, which there isn't today, is bad. It's that when he saw Christ in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his perfection, Paul realized how large the gap is between him and God. And he said, it's scubalon. It's rubbish. I want to talk to those of you who may not be sure of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you really are a good person. I'm not even going to include myself in this because you're probably light years ahead of me. But compared to Christ, you're going to fall short. Honestly, compared to Paul, we're going to fall short. He was trying to keep all of the laws, even the civic laws, impossible because it wasn't a theocracy. He had the ceremonial laws because he could go to the temple. He was keeping the moral laws. He was offering the sacrifices. He was a Pharisee. He studied under the greatest rabbi of his day, Gamaliel. And he said, when I saw Christ in all of his glory, and then I saw my treasure trove of trophies, it was rubbish. I said this a few weeks ago, but in a 300-year period, outside of Christ, there were five great rabbis. There was Shammai, he was the conservative. There was Hillel, he was the progressive. There was Gamaliel and his star pupil, Paul, and Judah Hanasi. Five. In a 300-year period, Paul's one of them. And yet when he saw Christ in all of his perfection, he said, everything I've ever tried to do, it's rubbish. And so he would later be led by God after his conversion to write in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. That's you, that's me. John would write in 1 John 1.8, if we claim to have not sinned, we're liars and the truth is not with us or in us. Paul will write in Romans 6, 23, that the wage of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. He said all these other things, they're rubbish. They're rubbish. They're scubalon. They're excrement. They're dung. They're manure. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today in your living room, in your family room, and you have not believed in Christ, you're trying to work your way to heaven, you're probably going to get closer than me, but you're going to be light years away from reality. Believe in Christ. He paid the penalty of sin, which is death. He died on the cross. He rose again, offering life after the grave for us, for all who by faith say, please forgive me. Please become my Savior. Please become my Lord. And for those of us who have already known Christ, we've already prayed to receive Christ, there still could be rubbish in our lives. Rubbish or anything that is more important to us than God. Maybe if our job is more important, that's rubbish, scubalon. Maybe our income is more important to us than God, that's scubalon. For some at this time, our politics might be more important than our walk with Jesus, walking in the image of Jesus. That's scubalon, it's rubbish. Maybe our pride is, is more important. Scubalon, rubbish. Paul said, when I saw Christ and all of his perfection, all these other things became rubbish. Paul said this, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So he will summarize his post-conversion life in verses 10 and 11. This is what he wants. This is what we need. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The life of a Christ follower I think is captured so well by Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain, I counted as loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Isn't that a great summary of Philippians 3? My richest gain Anything I count as valuable is as loss compared to the wondrous Christ who rose from the cross. That's reality. That's a summary of Philippians 3. May that be true in your life as I suspect it is. May it be true in my life. And may we grow in this truth as we take the next step in our relationship to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, if there are some that have been trying to earn their salvation, I pray that they would see as we all must that we can't keep the law perfectly. As Paul tells us in Galatians, the purpose of the law is to teach us that we are violators and we need a Savior. And the Savior is Jesus Christ. And so I pray that if there's some that have not received Jesus, that they might by faith ask Christ to come in 
to their heart to forgive and to cleanse. And for those of us who have already received Christ, may we evaluate our lives and may we see where our true treasure is. And if our true treasure, if the pearl of great price is not Jesus, and we have allowed some other rubbish to capture our hearts and our minds, our affections. May we consider it as rubbish, manure, dung, and pursue Christ, live for Christ, love Christ, serve Christ, and worship Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.